This series contains adult language and descriptions of graphic violence. Listener discretion is advised. Cavalry Audio. Welcome back to Death by Southwest, the podcast where each week I share a different grisly murder story unique to the American Southwest, while my sister and co-host tries to piece together the clues and unravel the mystery behind each of these heinous crimes. I'm your host, Margo, and I'm here with my sister and co-host, Jenna. And this is episode 14, which is part two of the murder of Katie Sepich. Truthfully, we're recording this after we've already recorded the whole episode. That is truthful. That is truthful. But because we already did like the sense of place for Las Cruces on episode 13, we wanted to include something at the beginning of episode 14. So I found a book on Amazon a couple days ago and I bought it and it's called Serial Killer Trivia, a collection of fascinating facts and disturbing details about infamous serial killers and their horrific crimes by Jack Rosewood. So, you know, I just picked a few things out of this book that I thought are super interesting that I'll ask you, we'll see what you know. And then that has some, you know, additional interesting information. Interesting. Interesting. Wow. The cat is loving you right now. Mm -hmm. We're at my house today without the dogs, just the cat here and the cat whose name is cat. Otherwise known as pumpkin. Pumpkin or wait, what's cat's full name that you said this gave gave him? Catterson. Pumpkin. Wooderson. Wooderson. Yep. Catterson Pumpkin Wooderson. We'll what po- a regal name. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to post a picture of Cat. I think we have pictures of Pilot and mm-hmm. Izzy and Henry, the, all of our dogs, but we don't have any pictures of Cat up there. You know that's the sound of another sale on your online Shopify store. But did you know Shopify powers selling in person too? That's right. Shopify is the sound of selling everywhere online, in-store, on social media, and beyond. (coughs) Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash crimes, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash crimes to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash crimes. So... I was going to say, we're not going to do the review thing every time. It'll get very tiresome for listeners. Except I think for you the, said that last time. I did too. say that last time, I think, except for the people, of course, who are being mentioned. But um, you did ask a question 
it was either in the last episode or the last lookup. I can't totally remember our listener, Sean Thompson, who, who he clarified for me that he doesn't hate that we don't know directions or where things are. He said it just kind of makes him cringe. And I think you had said, does he feel like a human GPS for everywhere in the country, everywhere in the world, right. or just places he's been. So he responded to that and he said, I'm very good with pretty much anywhere I've been. I can look at a map and tell where every state is and several countries. I used to be much better with my countries, but that has changed as I get old and don't keep up with it like I used to. So sounds like, yeah, anywhere that he's actually been, which I'm guessing is uh, probably a lot of places, I don't know, He um, he's pretty good with directions and like a human GPS, which is just a, a characteristic that I will never have. I'm wondering if he's saying as he gets older, it fades or whatever because he travels less or because his mind is going. Well, Sean, if you're listening, there's your follow up question. Mm -hmm. We're just going to have like a segment questions with Sean, the human GPS every week. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's get into this. Let's get into a little bit of the serial killer trivia. And I don't think I knew any of this. So I'm saying that to kind of like as a disclaimer for you, if you don't know Mm -hmm. any of this. Don't feel bad. Actually, you should probably feel good if you don't know about serial killers. (laughs) Also, because a reminder to to the listeners that what this is episode 14. 14. Mm -hmm. So that means 14 weeks. So that's not three plus months we've been doing this. And again, we're learning as we go. Well, and I don't think we've done any serial killers. We've done done murders. But I don't think we've had anybody who's like killed multiple, multiple people. Oh, yes, one. We did the one with the two younger girls. Oh, that's right. David Clements or something, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. I don't think that he's that's not considered, considered serial. But we're, we're, we're actually going to oh, okay. find that out. We're going to find okay. that out. So that's perfect, perfect lead-in to my first question, which is what's the textbook FBI definition of a serial killer? And obviously, I know you're not going to know it word for word, but if you had to define a serial killer, what would you say? Uh, an individual who is convicted, I don't know if it's convicted, but who murders more than, actually, let me take that back, who murders multiple individuals within a specific period of time. Okay, I like that. The FBI defines serial killing as a series of two or more murders committed as separate events, usually, but not always, by one offender acting alone. Which is confusing to me because what does that mean? Usually but not always committed by one offender acting alone? Oh, sometimes maybe it's two. Two Maybe they always do it together as a duo of serial killers, Hmm. I guess. Um, So it's just two plus. Yeah, two plus. Or two, period. I could kill two people. Two or more. And I'd be considered a serial killer. Mm -hmm. The common belief is that FBI Special Agent Robert Ressler invented the term serial killer during electron criminal profiling in the late 1970s. He was famous for his work in the field of criminal psychology and considered to be the father of modern behavioral profiling. He allegedly used the term when referring to New York serial killer David Berkowitz. That's son of Sam, I think, Mm -hmm. right? There's also a number of documented uses of the same or similar terms dating back decades before he ever mentioned it. Um, apparently in Dorothy B. Hughes' mystery book, A Lonely Place, in 1947, she refers to the antagonist as a series killer. Hmm. So, Well, and it makes me think of like one of the first true crime podcasts I was aware of, and I didn't listen all that much, honestly, so I don't really know, but it's called Serial, right? And isn't oh, it about, yeah. Is that about a serial killer? It is not. Oh, is it about breakfast cereal? It is not. <laughs> 
Well then, cut well, that. Wait a second. So I listened to Serial, and I actually watched the HBO show that came from Serial. I think, and I might get crucified for this because it's not. It's about a murder of one woman by one. It's, they're high schoolers, I believe. Uh, yeah. High schoolers are college kids. Yeah, it was I a long to the time first ago. Episode. I remember the 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 guy who was accused Anon is his uh-huh. name, I think, and I think he's. I don't know what actually ended up happening. He's either still in prison or because of the the series, he was actually found, you know, he maintained his innocence the whole time. He maybe was found to, to be not guilty after a period of time. I'm not totally sure. We'll have to follow up on we'll that. We'll have to follow up on that for sure. But I think it was called serial, not because serial killer, but more in the sense of like, it's a serialized series. Like it, uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I could be wrong Multiple, on that. Multiple uh, episodes. Yeah. Exactly, like it's you're you're waiting to find out what happens each episode. Yeah. So unlike our podcast, which each well, episode sometimes is different. They do. Well, oh, part ones and twos, yeah yeah, 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 that's true. I'm going to name a few things, and in relation to serial killers, mm-hmm. tell me what you think how these might relate to serial killers or killing or murder. Socks, microwaves, shovels, scissors, chainsaws, and toilet lids. They all just kind of maybe fall under the same category. Yeah, like... Say it again. Socks. Socks, microwaves, shovels, scissors, chainsaws, and even toilet lids have all been used to what? Rid of evidence. Ooh, that's a good guess. Incorrect. Um, Get rid of bodies? (laughs) Parts of bodies? create bodies. Wait, what? Bizarre items used to kill people. That serial oh. killers have used. Oh, I, you said create bodies. Yeah. What does uh, that mean? I guess I meant like dead bodies. Okay, say it again, the full <laughs> sentence. <laughs> the following are bizarre items that have been used to kill others. Socks, microwaves, shovels, scissors, chainsaws, and even toilet lids. I want to know about, s- well, first, actually, socks might be a part of a strangulation or mm-hmm. shoving them in the mouth. Yep. yep. Uh, microwave? M- microwaves. That's the one I want to know about, too. And toilet seat, you just, sh- what, like, yeah, hit someone? Yeah, something. I would imagine. However, most serial murderers stick with guns, knives, ropes, or their bare hands. This was surprising to me. The most unique weapon to be ever used in a multi-homicide case was in Chicago in 1999. I want to ask you, like, take a guess, but I guess... Of what the object was? Yeah, like, to use to kill multiple people. toilet seat seems pretty unique. I know it's not one of those, I'm guessing. It's not. Flashlight. No, but that's really an interesting guess. A samurai sword. Oh. That doesn't seem that unique to me. Like, a sword that is used for killing. Right. Right? Yeah. Like, a flashlight's not used for killing. That would be more unique, in my opinion. These are just some interesting random facts. According to a Radford University study, serial killers with higher IQs prefer bombs and poison over guns and knives. Less mess? Maybe. I mean, a bomb will make a lot of a mess, but less bloody mess, perhaps? Or maybe they just, like, a bomb or poison. You have to, like, think that through. You have to get your hands on the poison. You have to know the reaction of the poison, how long it's going to take, how much to use a bomb. A bomb is very, you have to know what's happening. Exactly. So you don't blow yourself up. Right. And so it says then lower IQ serial killers tend to bludgeon or stab their victims. That makes sense to me. Like, there's really not much thought goes into just beating someone to death. Well, I also wonder if it's first degree versus second degree. So in the moment, you don't plan to kill the person. Uh, so you use just what's whatever's premeditated around or not. versus yeah. premeditated. Most obviously poison and bomb would you be premeditated. It, yeah, you're not just like accidentally bombing someone right. to death. Yeah. Next one. What country has the most serial killers? 
Okay, let me think for a moment. The U.S. of A. or Canada? Oh, yeah. The mm. U.S. of A. is correct. Yeah. We stand out far above the rest in terms of serial killers per capita. And why do you think that is? I'm going to tell you. Oh. Well, I'm going to tell you why this book thinks that okay. it is. So between 1900 and 2016, the U.S. has at least 3,204 serial killers to its name, which is a staggering number compared to other countries. Um, the next country with the most serial killers is South Africa, mm. which has only 167 serial killers in the same amount of time. So 1900 to 2016, to 1,016 years. Right, right. But how many serial killers in that time frame? The U.S., yeah. 3,204. Okay. And then 100. South Africa, 167. Yeah, my gosh. Yeah, so n almost 19 times as many as South Africa, and that's the next most country. Iceland has one of the lowest crime rates and only has one recorded serial killer in the 1500s. And the Philippines also claims to only have one serial killer, a Catholic priest between 1816 and 1826. Canada has only seen 106 serial killers mm. in that time, even though the land mass of Canada is 1.6 times larger than the United States. Also, the population is way less. Yeah, that's true. That's true. What state in the United States do you think has produced the most serial killers? I mean, if I'm going off what I just said, something about population, I think like... California. That's correct. California has produced the most serial killers, boasting over 1,000 since the year 1900. Wow. During the 1970s, California was dubbed the murder capital of the world. Well, because that was when Manson and... Um, Zodiac? Uh, and... The Night Stalker? Yes. Yeah. Okay, What? what's the most common murder weapon for a serial killer? Their hands. Okay. What this book claims is that knives are generally considered by the public to be a serial killer's weapon of choice. It's actually third on the list. And the most commonly used murder weapon for a serial killer is a pistol. So after a pistol, the second most common murder method is strangulation. By hands or uh -huh. by anything, I by guess. By anything. Yeah. And then stabbing comes in at number three. Then from there, it's bombing, drowning, poisoning, burning, axing, Smothering and vehicular homicide. Oof, this is a dark conversation. So do you think that the motivations of male serial killers differ from that of female serial killers? And if so, overall? What, yeah, in general. Yeah. What, what would you think that those differences might be? I don't know. Perhaps women are more crime of passion and males are more um, power something. Okay. That means I'm wrong. No. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> and, and again, this is all according to this book. Who knows? I'm, I'm taking this book as like the word of serial killer Bible. But for the most part, it, it says that men and women tend to kill for very different motivations. Men tend to kill for power, domination, and sexual gratification, while women tend to kill for personal gain. I mean, but that's kind of what I said. I said yeah. power and mm -hmm. personal gain. I mean, I don't know what that means. Money. It could mean I want to kill my second husband so I get money. I would say, see, and my guess would have been women kill for, I wouldn't say personal gain. I would say revenge well, yeah, or something. Yeah, I would think revenge or I was going to say, um, what's it called? 
saving myself. Like if somebody oh, breaks in, it's... Oh, yeah. Okay, but that's... What the fuck is that called? Self-defense. Self-defense. But Thank that, you. I think that's different. That's not like... Totally different. Yeah, that's, that's self-defense. Not, that's self-defense. not a murder. It's not somebody who's going out and it's looking not to a murder. murder people. And I guess revenge probably isn't either. So a woman who's going out to kill multiple people, she's not getting revenge on all those people. Like a woman who kills her husband because he cheated, that's revenge. Yeah. But that's not serial killing. That's not, you're not going, you don't have, you're not well, killing multiple husbands. Maybe she's killing multiple, the people that he slept with. Even, that's true. Yeah, that's that true. could be part that's of true. revenge. So it says, when a woman kills, there is usually an identifiable reason and one that often benefits the woman's life in some way. Financial gain is a huge motivator for female ser- serial killers, as is removing an unnecessary burden from their life. An it's unwanted like, husband and yep. his... His person, exactly what you just said, actually. They also differ in killing methods. Men are more likely to use, what do you think? A gun. Mm-hmm. Guns or knives. And females keep things much more low key. Poisoning yep. is the most common method utilized by female serial killer- killers, followed closely by stabbing and then suffocation. Well, also think about how men and women, at least the statistics, are how they commit suicide. Not that women necessarily um, mm-hmm. stab themselves, but they will poison pills or yeah. put a bag over their head. Yep. Men are typically, typically, again, typically, right. very I, general, yes, yeah. will use a, a, a weapon. Also, women are much more likely to kill someone they know rather than a stranger yep. because the desire for lust fulfillment is rarely present in female serial killers, although there are a handful of exceptions, of course. But for men, it's much more like sexual and, and like that, and that's that's less present in females, apparently. This one I included because we talked about this a couple weeks ago when we took an Uber. We took an Uber, I don't know, mm. were, this was weeks ago, but we took an Uber mm-hmm. and we ended up talking to our Uber driver about like the dangers of driving Uber. So this question is, what Uber driver turned spree killer killed because he claimed the devil spoke to him through the Uber app? Well, this was a visionary killer. But, very good. But I, don't, I have no idea, isn't it? You're asking me to tell your na- his yeah. name. Yeah, I have no idea. Yeah. It was in February 2016, six people were killed in Kalamazoo County, Michigan, by mm-hmm. a man named Jason Dalton. He opened fire in a seemingly in seemingly random locations around the city, an apartment complex, outside a restaurant, and at a car dealership. He had no prior history of mental illness, no prior run-ins with the law, and when they arrested him, he claimed that his Uber mobile app had driven him to commit the mass shootings. He said that the Uber symbol reminded him of the sigil of the Order of the Eastern Star, a Masonic fraternity, and that it took control of his entire body. Then when he pushed the app on his phone, a new app popped up and the devil spoke directly to him through the screen. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's Oof. creepy and it's sad because that guy needs like professional help, help or yeah. did. Yeah. Also, Kalamazoo, that's where I went to Camp. one of my overnight camps with what's his face? What's his name? Let's give him a shout out on the show. Zach Guilford. Yeah, Zach Guilford. Yeah. Camp Echo. And he's on um, one of my favorite shows right now. Good Girls. Good Girls. Love that show. He's also on um, a show that's on right now, Criminal Minds Evolution, and he's the serial killer in that show. Well, which, is that a, if you're watching spoiler it? Spoiler alert? No. Oh, okay. Yeah. He's been on a bunch yeah, of stuff. Yeah, he's been on a bunch of stuff. He's yeah. been in some movies. He, I saw a preview, or we saw a preview for some movie. I can't remember what it is now. I can't yeah. wait to find, I hope I still have it, the picture of him and I, just because <sighs> I thought he was so cute. And so I, He's oh, still cute. Well, Yes. Yeah. But I really was infatuated with him. Yeah. For those two weeks I was at camp. (laughs) 
And I <laughs> was like, hey, man, let's take a photo. Shout out to you, Zach Guilford. With that, we will jump right into episode 14, part two of the Katie Seppich murder. And for those of you who are maybe don't remember exactly where we left off, um, a body was found and Katie's dad had come to Las Cruces. We had just found out at the end of, of episode 13 that Katie did make it back to her house, but she didn't make it inside. And we will pick up there. Don't miss what happens next in today's episode. We'll be right back after a short message from our sponsors. Calling all lovers of mystery. Prepare to don your detective hat in June's Journey, a free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. Take a trip in time to the glitzy 20s and play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. The thrill is endless with new chapters added weekly, allowing you to not only enjoy the detective adventure, but also to personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. They found Katie's shoes and outside of her bedroom window, which had a missing window screen. And you could see on the ground in the gravel that there had been a scuffle. There had been some type of disturbance there, which indicated to police that Katie had made it to her house and had fought with someone outside of her bedroom window. And while this initially seemed like promising evidence, it ended up not really going anywhere. They could tell more of what occurred that evening slash early morning and also didn't lead anywhere. Right. Because even though that DNA had been found under her fingernails, when police entered into CODIS, there were no matches. And at the time of the murder in 2003, the state of New Mexico had a law stating that law enforcement could not collect the DNA of a convict or suspect unless they were booked into a state prison. And if they were, they would be in the CODIS. Right. But just because someone was arrested, they didn't take their DNA. It was only when they were actually convicted and put in prison that they took their DNA. Yeah. Oh, weird. So they just know that people who were fully booked into or no, convicted of, it was none of them. Yep. People who were convicted and in prison, booked into prison. At one point or another. Yeah. That's all they were taking. That's the only time New Mexico at this point was taking someone's DNA. Mm. So with no leads, no real suspects, the police decided to turn their attention to the boyfriend. Joe. Joe. Bischoff. 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 Yeah. Because they had found out recently in an interview with her other friends that that Katie and Joe had had an argument that night. So they thought, let's start here. And when they interviewed Joe, several pieces of his story raised more than a few eyebrows. Because Joe claimed that as soon as he noticed Katie was missing from that party, him and a friend went out driving around looking for her, which would have been right around the time that she was being abducted. And 
it was a small town. It was an even smaller neighborhood. I mean, this was like a teeny cute little neighborhood. And it was, and it was you know, three o'clock-ish in the morning. So if they're out driving around looking for her in this teeny little neighborhood, and this is actually the time she's being abducted, there's a good chance they would have seen something if they are searching for her. I don't think they were. That's what he told police. Uh, and that didn't add up for police. Furthermore, he claimed that he went to her house to check on her while they were driving around. Joe went to Katie's, Katie's house home to check on her, but he never got out of the car. So he didn't check on her. Right. He also told police that he was calling her phone and looking for her over and over again once he noticed she wasn't at the party. But when police retrieved phone records, they discovered that the timeline didn't quite add up. It looked like he was calling her phone during the time that he already had her phone in his possession. Like he knew her. Remember how he told Tracy uh -huh, her phone's uh -huh. here? Yeah. So he was calling the her. The next morning he said, don't worry about calling her because yes. she left her phone in her purse in her bag. Right. And so yeah. when they actually found the phone records and saw the time, and I don't have those exact time codes, but saw the times that he called her, he already had her phone and knew she didn't have it. So... All of this added up to what police believed was a guilty person trying to build an alibi. Well, sure. That tips their brains, I imagine, sure. to, oh, potentially he could be guilty. Right. It also tips my brain to, he could just be kind of scared AF and like a dumb idiot yeah. to not just put it all out there if he wasn't guilty. But yeah. Well, they had nothing to hold them on. So this is what they were suspecting, but they had nothing to hold them on. Three days after Katie's murder, he had talked to police he returned home to his hometown of Gallup, New Mexico, 300 miles away. He assured police he'd be back if they needed anything, though. And they did end up needing more from him. Not long after he left, they asked him to return for another interview and to give a sample of his DNA because they had, you know, found the DNA at this point under her fingernails and wanted to run it against his. But Joe wasn't so willing anymore. He informed detectives that he had retained an attorney and he wouldn't be coming back and he definitely would not be giving them his DNA. Wow. Mm -hmm. My first brain says, oh, guilty. And also we've said either which way, get an attorney and maybe that's just what the attorney advised. I know you know more than me, but right now no, it could right. be anything. You're right. It is what the attorney advised and his parents were actually the ones who advised him to get an attorney. They got the attorney for him. They said it doesn't matter if you did anything or if you didn't do anything, like you need an attorney. Totally. They're, they're definitely going to look at the boyfriend first. So they got him an attorney and the attorney told him, um, Stay put. yeah, I advise my client not to give DNA because of the way the investigation was being handled. He thought they were kind of tipping it in Joe's direction and they didn't want him to, or the attorney didn't want him to give them anything that was unnecessary, I guess. Understood. But investigators were really, they kind of had tunnel vision on Joe at this point, and they, they decided to get creative. They actually went to Gallup and started following him around and hoped that he would throw out a cup or a piece of gum or something that oh, had wow. his DNA on it. But after following him around for a period of time, no such luck. They couldn't even go into his, if he lived with his family, their trash. I mean, it doesn't seem that I could follow you around forget about your gum or coffee cup <laughs> if i know where you live uh, anyways go yes. on i mean i don't know it i didn't find anything on that yes my i want to say yeah that seems likely but if he lived with his family maybe he had siblings how would you determine it i don't know i'm also, not sure maybe that's considered private prof property yeah, and if they have they don't have a warrant then it 
they could find that matching DNA perhaps, it be but thrown it out. wouldn't be, admi- yeah. it would be admissible or inadmissible. not inadmissible. Yeah. yeah. So they, they didn't have any luck with that, but they just, they felt more and more certain that it was Joe. They, they couldn't get off of the fact because there was just no other suspects. And they even went as far as to tell Katie's parents that he was their prime suspect, which Katie's parents did not want to believe. They, they liked Joe actually, but others were much more willing to believe that it was Joe. So much so that once friends and community members found out that Joe was the police's prime suspect, it became very clear that he was not welcome at the funeral and he didn't attend. Because he wasn't welcome or because he didn't want to be there? Because he wasn't welcome. They didn't want him there and they made it very clear. I don't know exactly if somebody called, you know what, but it was very clear that he was not going to be welcome there. But over a thousand other people did attend her funeral in Carlsbad, New Mexico. So much so it was at a church, so much so they had to put speakers outside of the church and people were spilling out into the front of the church. And police saw this as an opportunity to potentially look for other suspects. They knew they knew that Joe wasn't going to be there, but they thought maybe we can find this kind of compact truck that left a tire track. And so they photographed and videoed tires on every car in that parking lot. I understand that the size of the tire or the width or the whatever matched up to the uh, potentially a, a smaller truck yep. vehicle. And also um, each tire, I believe, has its own kind of quote unquote fingerprint. Like a tread pattern? Yeah. So like maybe they knew that. Like that would be a thing to know. Sure. But like my car could have an, any number of tires would work on it. That's true. That that's a po- yes. That's true. you could you could know the tire brand. I'm well, sure they well, could figure right. that Your out. Your car could have any number of tires on it, but if they can identify what kind of brand of tire that was, mm-hmm. they can go around and look at cars that have that brand of tire. True. That's true. I don't know if they were able to determine the brand or not. I, no, I'm not even asking you. I'm just talking out loud or thinking out loud. Sure. Like that's a an aspect here. Yeah, absolutely. I also know some cars, if a tire pops, not everyone gets like all the new tires, but then they could also still look for one tire, you know? Yeah, yeah. that's true. Yeah. I I think I have two tires on the front that are different than the two in the back because I've had like them replaced at different times. Sure. And if your tire track was in a murder scene, they'd surely be able to find, oh, she has two of those tires. That's true. Uh, Either way, they, they, they ended up with nothing from their photographing and videoing of the tires at the church parking lot. So now they had another idea. They were so determined that it was Joe that they decided to hide, put a hidden camera at Katie's gravesite, hoping that Joe might feel guilty and come and confess his guilt at her grave. Yeah. And this also ended up with nothing. Uh, a sprinkler system quickly uh, <laughs> went over the camera and deemed it useless, which is, it just, I mean, this seems like extreme. You really have to believe that it is this guy if you're going to all these extremes. Well, that's what I'm a little confused about. Not confused that they were uh, putting him as kind of a main suspect or potential suspect without enough evidence, but in their minds. And also like, when they went to the funeral, they said, or you said they were taking it as an opportunity to investigate other potential suspects, but then right back to Joe. Right back to Joe. Yep, they did. They went right back to Joe. And within a few months, 
they came up with yet another idea. And that was that in Joe's interview, one of his interviews with police, he had told police that him and Katie had had sex in her bed, you know, a night or two before she had died. Police thought we're going to get those bed sheets and we're going to pray that there is some type of DNA on those bed sheets and we're going to test it against the DNA found under her fingernails. Oh, okay. Also, when they knew that she was raped and maybe it was too late, I don't really know how that works. Uh, Here come the true, true crime fans. (laughs) When they knew that she was raped kind of right off the bat or soon after, they didn't take any DNA, right? Couldn't have there been DNA from inside her vagina or something? Yes, they did. They, in everything Uh. that I read, they, they didn't, they never specified that. The most I saw was that there was DNA under her fingernails and they did find DNA in other places of her body, but there was not one. I mean, there's a lot of coverage on this. I did not find one article that said that they did a rape kit or were able to find DNA from that, from her genitals. Mm. But at this point, they were hoping that they would find DNA on her sheets and it would match under the fingers, the, under the fingernails, and then that would that would lead to Joe. So they were able to get the DNA, and within a, this, there was a unclear timeline. But it was a few months that it took, and it did not match the DNA under her fingernails. Wow, they kind of ruled Joe out. I guess at this point, they called his lawyer and said, "Look, we got DNA off of her sheets. We compared it against the DNA under her fingernails. It's not a match, but we'd like to just a hundred percent like eliminate you and confirm that." And I think at that point, he did actually come and give DNA, and he was ruled out. So now we're back to who did this, and not only who did this, but how did it happen? Was she killed outside of her? own home while she was trying to get inside her window? Was she abducted there and then taken and killed elsewhere and then dumped in the desert? Or had someone tried to abduct her while she was walking home? She ran to her house trying to escape and then she was taken from outside her window. I mean, like, are those the only three options in your mind? Because those aren't. What are the other options? Well, I don't know, but you just sparked something in my mind that has nothing to do with how she was killed. Okay. But also, she was killed by strangulation. Well, right. But this, remember when you said uh, Tracy came home and realized there was like something outside her window? Her shoes. Right. And then in the, in the dirt, sand, whatever, there was a, a scuffle. scuffle. Right. I know she's dead and something awful happened. Right. The scuffle outside her window could have been because she left all her shit at the party and she wanted to get in her room. And she was trying to climb in. She was trying to climb in the window. That's true. That's an option as well. I mean, that doesn't really matter because that doesn't help anything. But I'm just saying that little snapshot of potential like scene of evidence could have just been her scuffling around trying to jump in her window. She kicked off her shoes and tried to get in her window and and it means nothing. That's You know what? I actually didn't even think of that. Again, that's not really relevant to the th- what the goal of this is, but sure. it's a thought. It is a thought. There weren't a lot of thoughts that came over the next few years because for more than three years, this case remained unsolved. There was no, there was no additional information. Joe was ruled out. They had the DNA, but it wasn't a match for anyone. There were no additional suspects until mid-December 2006. You don't want to miss what happens next in today's murder story, so don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after a short message from our sponsors. For more than three years, the case remained unsolved until DNA from a convicted felon 
turned up as a partial match to the DNA under Katie's fingernails in mid-December 2006. What does a partial match mean? I, th- I think it means that like not all of the, and I, I hope this is the right word. I've read a bunch about it. The alleles, the alleles, I think all the different markers in DNA, mm-hmm. some of them ma- match, not, not all, all of, of them. them match. And that either means that there's not enough DNA from either party or from one of the parties to confirm a hundred percent that it's a match. Possible match. Right. Exactly. So it was a partial match and... That's where Gabriel Avila enters the scene. He's a Mexican national who worked as a truck driver at the time of Katie's tragic disappearance and death. Those who knew Gabriel described him as an ordinary guy who seemed quite approachable and had really only had several brushes with the law in the past. But his brush with the law in 2003 would eventually lead to a nearly lifelong sentence for Gabriel. In November of 2003, just months after Katie's murder, two women roommates living in Las Cruces noticed a man watching them from outside of their window. They were a little bit freaked out, but once they noticed him and he noticed them noticing him, he kind of ran away and they forgot about it. They were like, eh, weird guy looking at us. You know, he was standing kind of out in the street looking at them through their window and they forgot about it. Several weeks later, they saw him again outside of their house, peering in through the window. In Las Cruces. Yeah. Mm. Not far, I believe, from Katie's house. And then over the next coming weeks, they began to notice him more and more. He would be in their bushes. He would be standing across the street. He would be standing behind a tree. Did they call the cops? Absolutely. They called the cops, but... When they called the cops, they called and reported it to the cops. And the cops, you know, I think told them, call us back next time you see him. But he wasn't he wasn't necessarily even on their property all the time. He could have been across the street or on the sidewalk. There's no laws against looking. Yep. He never did more than that. And usually when they noticed him, he would leave or he would try and hide himself so that they couldn't see him. And then sometimes even when they wouldn't see him, they would hear him. They would hear things outside of their house. They would hear somebody in the bushes. And so they had a small fenced in backyard and they they decided, you know, we're going to try to make sure that we can tell if he's com- obviously they're locking their house and things like that. He wasn't breaking in. But so they decided to they started locking the back fence and then putting like rocks in specific places so that they could tell. It would make more noise. Yeah, well, yeah. that it would make noise. And then when they weren't home, they could tell if he had been there and he had been there. Yeah, they noticed that they would come home more times than one and the gate would be open and unlocked. The rocks would be moved. There was somebody who was in that yard. Which kind of feels a little bit reminiscent of scrapes in the dirt or yard Uh around Katie's Window. window. Yep. So they were kind of living in fear at this point. There was nothing that could officially be done, but they were freaked out and they didn't like being alone in the house, which I mean, to me... So even saying that feels weird. They were kind of freaked out. I would be fuck. I would have moved out. I would have been gone. Well, you know what feels weird to me? That there was nothing that could be done. Yeah. That's the part that feels weird to me. Normal to be kind of or a lot or medium or any kind of freaked out you want to be. And also that because this person hadn't aggressed on them yep. or committed a quote unquote crime. Right. Yeah. That nothing could be done. There yep. are someone's watching us four nights a week. Yet. Well. 
okay, well, let us know when he does something. Exactly. That really pisses me off. Yep. And he eventually did do something. Yeah. Well, there it is. So one night he somehow made his way, both girls were home and he made his way inside the home. Luckily, one of the women saw somebody in the home and knew that it wasn't her roommate who was in her own room. And she ran down the hall to her roommate's room, closed the door and called 911. And after three terrifying minutes, so police did arrive on the scene and apprehended Gabriel, and he had a knife on him, and he was inside of their home. So he was taken into custody and submitted a DNA sample after being arrested and sent to prison at the New Mexico Correction System. Uh, what was he convicted on? Because apparently that's not a crime to be creeping on people. So he was convicted and sentenced to nine years for aggravated burglary and intent to commit aggravated assault. So burglary doesn't mean you have to steal anything. He just, he entered somebody's home. Un- Breaking and entering. Yeah, unlawfully. Yep. So he was sentenced to nine years uh, in prison for that. And even though he was, this this all happened just a few months after Katie's homicide, yeah. um, police weren't able to immediately get access to that DNA that he had to because he was arrested and convicted. So he had to give his DNA, okay. which they were able to match up. So the partial DNA match alerted them to Gabriel. A possible yes. person. But they wanted to be 100% sure. So they obtained a search warrant to get a new sample of DNA from him. And on December 11th, the samples proved that he definitely was the killer. Definitely was the killer. Definitely was the one who had the DNA under her fingernails, Mm -hmm. which I guess what I mean, I guess that means he's the killer. But yeah, yeah, I mean, random person's DNA and blood under your fingernails. Okay, blood. Yeah, Yeah. Okay. Okay. But okay, fair, fair for you to be questioning it. And you know what? Probably one or more of the police wanted to question this as well. So they decided to interrogate him and question him. He's already in prison. They already have a match for the DNA. And so they interrogated him. And initially he totally denied it, but very quickly broke down and not only admitted to it, but provided details of the murder that only he could have known. Why do you think... Why do you think that happens for some convicted or soon to be potentially convicted individuals? Why th- did he break down? I He's think already there is, in jail. I think there is a whole host of reasons. I think people get scared because he, people, I think detectives are telling him, we have your DNA. We already know you did it. We already know you did it. And so people, they're, they're saying like, you already on that. If you tell us, we'll get you an easier sentence. Honestly, what I read, what I, I'm inferring this. I don't know. But from what I read, I don't even think they questioned him hoping to get a confession. They already had him. They had they they knew they had, they had enough him. evidence. They had enough evidence to convict him. He just kind of opened up. I don't know what the, I was going to say waffled, but that's the wrong word. Yeah, I think that it I think the list of things that could cause someone to do that you're scared, you feel guilty, 
you that's you only, think fuck it you get the fuck it yeah i like to call it. it the fuck it i like that exactly it's like i'm already in here i know i'm getting convicted well. for burglary and whatever yep. else so fuck it yep so i think it could have been any number of things but he he did admit to encountering katie while driving on roadrunner parkway around 3 a.m on the early morning of august 31st he actually stated that he nearly hit katie with his truck when she was walking home and he then proceeded to just follow her home. He witnessed her attempting to get inside of her home through the bedroom window, and he saw her struggle to get in and decided to approach her. He claims that he then lost control of himself and immediately raped her and then realized she would recognize his face, and so he strangled her with his bare hands. Afterward, he loaded her body into his truck and took it out to the old landfill where he tried to incinerate it by covering it with alcohol and setting it on fire. Wow. Yeah. And so so since he, after his confession, investigators located and seized the truck that they believed was used to transport Katie's body to the, the desert landfill in East Las Cruces. Gabriel had sold the truck and the new owner consented to its seizure. They also found inside the truck... Katie's turquoise ring. Woof. Mm-hmm. Also, are you going to tell us what kind of truck it was? I don't know. I don't know. That's a good lookup list question. I don't know. So. Uh, yeah. This all happened in 2006. And finally, on May 3rd, 2007, Gabriel was sentenced to 69 years in prison after he pled guilty to a count each of first-degree murder, second-degree criminal sexual penetration, kidnapping and tampering with evidence and that one i don't understand do you tampering with evidence what evidence did he tamper with the well, truck maybe that he tried to set her on fire maybe oh that's true that's true i bet you're, you're absolutely right i bet that's totally right I also bet that's 69 totally right. years wasn't someone else sentenced to 69 years and we thought it was because every year of her age the victim's age yes that was david and gloria marmalejo and he was sentenced to 51 oh, years okay. i want to say because that was her so, age but why 69 i guess it doesn't freaking matter i don't know but it was to be served after he finished serving his nine years for the previous those two women so presumably he, dead he'll be dead yeah a long why? time he was born in 1969. He was arrested huh. in 2006 and sentenced in 2007. So, so he was 37 when he was arrested. Six, yeah, okay. He'll be dead, presumably. Also in prison. I wonder, and maybe this is just a general lookup list, but, and I guess it depends on the state or the municipality of why some people uh, convicted of first degree or second degree, whatever murder, get the death penalty versus many, many years in prison. It's a great question. I think we've had that question before, and I don't think that we ever found an answer. I do think it definitely has to do some somewhat with the state. Obviously, some states don't have the death penalty, uh, but I I also think that we had speculated on this before, saying maybe it has to do with the severity of the crime, the intention of the crime. That's definitely not a conversation for this, but a conversation for the lookup list for sure. Hmm. Um, state District Judge Douglas Driggers ordered Gabriel to serve the sentence after finishing his nine-year sentence that he was serving on the aggravated burglary and assault. Gabriel asked to be able to apologize face-to-face to Katie's family at the trial. I feel like that should be up to Katie's family, whether they want to do Obviously, it was. Yeah, it was something that um, the lawyer said that it was unprecedented, that he had really not seen in such a brutal, brutal murder. He'd 
almost never seen the killer want to apologize. I don't think he, I don't think he was able to. Uh, I wasn't I'm guessing able to find the family that. probably was like, no, thank you, sir. Yeah. Also, that speaks, I don't know. I have no idea, but like that lets me know, like maybe something off a up wonky there. was going on. Yeah. The district attorney argued that he should not be able to do that because he waited more than three years after her murder to confess and did so only when detectives confronted with DNA. So, like, too little, too late, dude. Well, and also, I feel like uh, a a murderer should never be able to do that. Clearly they can't unless the victim's family, loved ones say, yes, Yes. please. I'd like that. Right. So it doesn't matter. Even if he could, it has to be the victim's people that say, yeah, we'd like that. Right. So remember in the last episode, Stephanie's um, murder was like eligible for parole and got out of for like eight years or something. Kind of. Luckily with (laughs) this, Gabriel will not be eligible for parole until he serves 30 years of his murder conviction. And so nine. So in 2007, he was still serving his nine years. Yeah, he got he started in 2004. So he served that until 2013. His nine years was were over. Mm -hmm. So 20 we're in 20, 20 20 years left until he's eligible for parole. 2013 to oh yeah 2023 is 10 years so he's got 20 years left he has to serve 30 years of his murder 43 yeah um so following his sentencing dave uh katie's father said it felt surreal almost like a dream we come to terms with the possibility that we may never find out the truth because obviously for years they had been aware of the gruesome details of the murder um, including the fact that she was only a few steps away from her bedroom when she was raped and killed. But the lingering question had been whether or not uh, she knew her attacker. You know, for a while, the family thought, oh, yeah. you know, Did the, she? the police thought she she must have known this guy if, if this maybe happened outside of her home or whatever. It's a small town. But her family never believed that because they said anyone who, and this is maybe a very parental thing to say, but they said anyone who know, knew her, Loved her. They wouldn't have killed her. No one who knew her would have killed her. Also, based on what you've told me, there's a good chance he didn't. He just saw her. Yep. His little eyes spotted her and then followed right. her down. Yep. So that that question was finally answered. And, and her dad said he saw Katie walking home, followed her, and murdered her. It was totally random. And she didn't know him. And he didn't know her. I don't know if that makes it better or worse. I mean, or neither, I guess. I think neither for yeah. me. Uh, I thought this was a good profound-ish statement that Katie's mother said after the sentencing. She said, because I know we've talked about this, and she said, there's no such thing as closure, but she is ready to move on. Yeah. That's a nice, concise way of saying it. Well, yeah, I think, I don't know, I've never had anyone close to me murdered, and murdered, period. I was going to say in such a gruesome way. But um, I think, yeah, grief lives on, and moving on can happen at the same time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So he is currently, Gabriel is currently serving at the medium security prison in Lee County Correctional Facility in Hobbs, New Mexico. In the beginning, I don't know if you remember in the very beginning of this, I had said that this murder not only rocked the tight-knit town of Las Cruces, but it sparked a nationwide movement for change. I do remember. And I just want to go back to that and kind of provide some information about that. So... Since 1997, New Mexico has required that felons who are convicted, like I said earlier, convicted and and put into prison, provide DNA samples. 
But on January 1st, 2007, thanks to the effort of Katie's parents, mostly her mom, New Mexico passed Katie's Law, which expanded the previous laws surrounding DNA to include that DNA samples be collected at the time of arrest on any violent felony charges. And this law was then revised, Katie's Law was revised in 2011 to include samples for all felony arrests, which are placed into a database so they can be compared to DNA from crime scene evidence with unsolved crimes. Was Gabriel previously um, booked on a felony charge? I think he was because I saw several... This is where it gets a little okay, gray. You can cut this yeah, then, but I'm no, still curious. I think I saw several things that had said where, where Katie's mom had said, if if this law had been in place we would have got 10 years ago, yeah. Katie would be alive. So either it so doesn't I think even matter of violent. I think arrested it, on, right, on it, a felony charge. Right. Yeah. It, at first it was violent and then it was changed to just a yes. felony charge. So I think he was arrested on a felony charge like way previous to murdering Katie because that's the only reason that that comment that her mom made me, would make sense. So yes. Unfortunately, it wouldn't have changed the outcome of this, but it might have given uh, not closure, but answers to the family sooner. If Katie's law had been enacted yes, previously. That's true. That's true. So yes. Yeah, so the law was revised in 2011 to include samples for all felony arrests. Um, and since Katie's death, her mom, Jayanne, has helped dozens of other states pass Katie's law. And nearly 16 years after the crime, so that was... 2019. There you go. Katie's mom started a nationwide campaign called DNA Saves, which she's like... All, she's like promoting all over the country trying to get this Katie's Law enacted in all 50 states. And I thought this was really interesting. Um, in an article around that time in uh, 2019, Carlsbad newspaper interviewed her and, and Jan had said that her motivation initially had been bringing um, justice to victims, families and things like that. But over the over recent years, she said she found a new kind of motivation and that was in helping a different kind of victim. And th- that's those who were falsely accused or convicted. She said, I've been trying for a long time to really highlight how this not only finds the actual perpetrator, but it protects the person who is not guilty from going through this entire process unnecessarily. Like Joe. Like Joe, exactly. There have been more than 300 people taken off death row because of DNA evidence and many more released from prison after lengthy sentences. She was especially inspired by James Tillman, a motivational speaker who spent 18 years in prison on a rape and kidnapping conviction. Conviction. He was later exonerated by DNA evidence. So I, I think, I mean, I think that's admirable that she's... Um, working so hard, not only for victims' families, but for all these people who may be wrongly convicted. Um, and I think I saw I saw that anywhere from 25 to 28 states have passed Katie's Law or something similar at this point. So that is it. That is our episode on Katie Sepich and her horrible murder. But I know it doesn't matter to the, I know the family would rather have their, their daughter, sister back, but some good has come of it. Thanks to her mom. Yeah. Yeah. And um, any final thoughts you want to share? Gosh, no. Okay. Not on Not on record. <laughs> nope. I've got a lot, but no, thank you. Okay. Well, then we will just say um, good night and good luck. Mm-hmm. 
And what's the other one you say? Hug that? your family. Hug yeah. your loved ones. Yeah, I like that one. Hug your loved ones. Tell them you love them. That's right. And Even uh, if you don't like them. <laughs> that's true. And uh, thank you guys for listening. Please leave us a review. And we will be back soon with a bonus episode. And uh, we'll see you guys soon. Bye-bye. Bye. And if you want to see pictures of the victims, the murderers, and any additional related images, head over to our Instagram right now. Our handle across all social media platforms is death, then the letter X, and then Southwest spelled out. So D-E-A-T-H-X-S-O-U-T-H-W-E-S-T. Death X Southwest. Death by Southwest is a Cavalry Audio production. Hosted by Jenna Schneider and Margot Carmichael. Produced by Margot Carmichael. Associate produced by Jenna Schneider. Executive produced by Dana Brunetti and Keegan Rosenberger. Audio editing and sound design by Revision Sound. Music by Soundstripe. And a special thanks to Edward R. Murrow for letting us borrow his famous sign-off phrase, good night and good luck. <laughs>